All right. Well, first off, I was prepared for this. We're running only a little late, but I can get it all in much faster than you can imagine. And uh, on top of that, I will also tell you that I sometimes get all riled up when I'm teaching. And my wife told me before uh, I came in tonight, try to tone it down. Don't get too riled up. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. And two of those little urchins were mine. And I will tell you, they at times make me feel so alive and young again. And then at other times, I have no energy whatsoever. So those, those uh, team kid teachers are definitely a blessing. Uh, so as we approach God's word tonight, we're coming upon a scene of, of tension, of darkness, Previously in chapter 13, Jesus has told his disciples that there will be betrayal, there will be denial, and on top of all of that, he is leaving and the disciples cannot come with him. And I would also say that, you know, churches full of believers can be just like that, that upper room when it comes to those, those tensions and, and discords that seem to sometimes enter our sanctuary. And Jesus' response to that tension in the upper room is, is just as applicable to us today as it was to those disciples then. So let's see how Jesus is going to respond to this atmosphere. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to John 14, and I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you'd known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's sufficient for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. There's a lot to be digested in these few verses, but the first starting out, let not your hearts be troubled. It's it's very interesting that instead of the disciples lending their support to Jesus immediately prior to his trip to the, to the cross, it's him supporting them, both emotionally and spiritually. 
in the way he did that first. He promised the disciples that they will be together again. And this time it'll be for eternity. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you with me. You know, this verse is often misconstrued. We, we hear the word mansion, right, and our eyes automatically brighten, and we start thinking of that sweet, sweet pad that we're going to have in heaven, and it's going to have four swimming pools and a tennis court. It's going to be amazing. But the actual Greek word used for this word mansion is the word mane, and it means abode, residence. The word's only used twice in the entirety of Scripture, and ironically enough, it's used twice in chapter 14. You have to realize that in the culture of the day, in order to have true personal fellowship with an individual, you would invite them into your home, into your abode. So in other words, what Jesus is telling the disciples is that while he's going away, it's only temporary. One day they will be reunited. And not only will they be able to experience personal fellowship with him again, but they'll also be able to experience personal fellowship with his father. Very, very few people in Scripture ever experienced fellowship with the Father. One of those individuals was Moses. And if you'll recall in Exodus, goes up onto the mountain. And God tells him, look, you cannot look at me directly. You cannot look upon my face. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to go over you. And when I just get over you, you'll be able to turn around and see my back. And we find out later that when Moses comes back down from the mountain, the expression on his face, the glow of his face, the glory of his face is terrifying, terrifying to the Israelites. And yet here Christ is telling us that one day we will be able to have fellowship, personal fellowship with the Father. But not only does Jesus tell us what awaits a true believer in the future, he also tells us how to get there. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I mean, we could do the whole Bible study on this verse alone. We really could. And, and John in his gospel loves to include things that uh, Jesus said and things that Jesus did that carried out his expressed purpose for coming to earth. And so he's always including the I am statements made by Jesus. And this is the sixth I am statement. And this one statement is the theme of the entire Gospel of John in one sentence. In fact, it's pretty much the entirety of the Gospel in one sentence. Jesus is the only path to eternal fellowship with God. And quickly, we'll turn to Matthew chapter 7. 
Verses 13 and 14, these are the words of Jesus. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few that find it. You know, the world wants to tell us that there's all kinds of different ways to, to enter heaven. Look, you, you take your path, you take your Baptist path and, and your Sunday morning service path, and I'll tell you what, I'm going to take my spirituality over here, I'll take this path, and in the end, when we both die, we'll, we'll get to heaven. Might take different routes, but, you know, we'll, we'll both get there eventually. But... That completely contradicts the words that we read from Christ right here. Jesus is the only true path that leads to eternal life with God. And and this knowledge of Jesus, by the way, this this knowledge of God, this knowledge of of Jesus is, is much more than just a kind of a mental grasp about what they are, who they are. It's a personal relationship of wholehearted commitment. We, you know, James tells us in uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 19, that you know, e- even the demons believe that God created heaven. We find out earlier that even the demons know who Jesus is. They know he's the Son of God. He, they know he is who he says he is. But there's one difference. There's one major issue. They don't have that personal relationship that's required when it comes to salvation through Christ. And unfortunately today, we, you know, there's, a, there's a major misunderstanding of what a relationship really means. I mean, with social media, I can have somebody I went to kindergarten with. Maybe I bumped into them in a hallway in high school, or maybe I borrowed a pencil from them in college, and I get this request to be their friend. And all I have to do is click a button, and man, we are friends. But a relationship is is much more than that. You can't have true, intimate fellowship with a stranger. It's impossible. I mean, you might start out as strangers. Many of us have started out as strangers in our various relationships. I, I was not born knowing my wife. I met her when I was about 28 years old. It took me that long, and when I first met her, it wasn't, hey, I now know you perfectly after one date. Let's get married. No. In other words, you have to work. You have to communicate. But if that fellowship is truly real, it becomes truly intimate, you can't help but get to know them on that personal level. And God uses various ways to make himself known intimately, right? I mean, we have prayer, we have his word, and we have the Holy Spirit. But if we read his word and we don't come to know him intimately, we don't come to know him personally, well, then we're basically what are known as theologians. We just, we're experts in the, in the writings of the Bible. And if we don't hear the Holy Spirit speak, well, then we're definitely not in an intimate relationship with him. You know, Philip makes what appears on the surface to be a, a heart-spoken request. You know, Jesus, if you show us the Father, well, then we're good to go. That's the Dallas Hill translation, by the way. That's, uh... But 
in verse 9, we learn from Jesus that to know Jesus is to know God. And throughout the entire book of John, Jesus has made it perfectly clear that he is God incarnate. In John 1, 1, John starts the book out, what, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. These words that Jesus spoke, the miracles he performed, were all done to prove the indwelling of the Father in the Son, and the Son in the Father. The second way that Jesus encourages the disciples is to let them know that he will be with them and work through them via prayer. When Jesus says that the disciples will accomplish even greater things than him, he's not saying they're going to perform even better miracles than himself. They're not going to feed 100,000 people with two fish, five loaves, etc. No, that's not what's going to happen. What he's saying is you need to remember that Instead, is that the disciples' ministry is going to extend even farther than Christ's earthly ministry. You know, Christ's earthly ministry took place in, what, about a year and a half, right? In a very concentrated geography. He was fully human. So he, at the time, was not omniscient, definitely wasn't omnipotent, and he definitely was not omniscient. So it's when Christ departs this earth, that's when the disciples are going to be able to spread the gospel. And one of the ways they're going to be able to do this is through prayer. Christ will provide them with the necessary resources to accomplish their ministerial tasks. Now, to ask in Jesus' name does not mean you now have some sort of magic formula for prayer. I cannot pray today and say, Lord, let me win the lottery, let me win that $10 million dollars, In Jesus' name, amen, I'm good to go. A believer's prayer, as we see in verse 14, is supposed to be in the pursuit of his purpose and his glory. That's the point of praying it in Jesus' name is so that God the Father is glorified and deified. Quickly, we'll read verses 15 through 26. Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. A little while longer, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you will live also. At that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. 
But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Thirdly, to comfort them, Jesus promises that God will grant them a helper in the Holy Spirit. In the Greek, this term helper, uh, it refers to one who comforts and, and advocates for. It's the same word that we see here in 1 John 1, 20, let me see here. 1 John 4, 13, no, 2, 1, 2, 1. I got all my Johns put together here. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We sometimes think of him as our defense attorney, providing a defense for us. But unlike this incarnate or the the carnate, the Jesus on earth, the uh, fleshly human Jesus, this helper is not limited to just a local physical proximity. And he's not limited to just one-on-one interaction. And as we see in verse 17, this spirit of truth is only given to those who believe in Christ. And one of the most encouraging roles of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life is that Christ uses him to come to us. 1 John, now we get to verse 4.13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. He comes to us through the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of misperceptions when it comes to the Holy Spirit, but here are some truths. Number one, he is a person. He's a person. He is God. He has a specific function within the Trinity. He inflicts punishment. He can grieve. He is just as much one with Jesus as Jesus is one with the Father. Habit habit keeps me from doing this, but sometimes I would like to remove that the and just call him Holy Spirit. But his role after Christ's ascension to heaven is just as powerful and important as that of Christ during his ministry on earth. We learn the Holy Spirit, he teaches, and he's going to help us remember Christ's words. Christ gives us the commandment to keep his commandments. And these commandments aren't just these ethical commandments, this, this list of do's and don'ts. Instead, they're the entire revelation of God the Father. And by following Christ's revelations, we come to know him in a more personal and intimate way. There's that personal. There's that intimate again. There's that relationship again. So important. And it's only following the revelation of God concerning the need of salvation through Christ that we will spend eternity in fellowship with him. 
And as we see in verse 26, it's the Holy Spirit that reminds us of Christ's words and encourages us, walks beside us, is our helper, is our assistant when it comes to following Christ's words. And then to wrap it up, we're going to look at verses 27 through 30, and we're going to see that Jesus is going to deliver to them a supernatural peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You've heard me say to you, I'm going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said I'm going to the Father for my Father is greater than I And now I've told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. The peace of Christ goes far beyond the peace that the world experiences. For the true believer, for the individual with a true personal relationship with Christ, this peace destroys fear. We see that in Philippians 4, 7. It rules in our hearts to maintain harmony with one another, with the fellow body of believers. We see that in Colossians 3:15. And finally, this peace is between us and God. And we see that in Romans 5:1. I'll go ahead and close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words that while quick tonight still provide us with so much encouragement so much peace, Lord. I would ask that you continue working on us so that we understand what a true and intimate relationship with you really is and what it really looks like. I would ask that you continue to lead and guide us through your word, through prayer. I would ask the Holy Spirit as well to walk beside us and help us show, uh, show us the way and help us show others the way. In your son's precious and holy name, amen. All right, look at that.